don't know how many of you are old enough to remember uh, 1972, uh, but in 1972, the Miami Dolphins were playing football quite well. Uh, they had won four straight games, and they were on the roll to win their fifth game uh, with Bob Greasy as their quarterback. Uh, Bob Greasy was young and exciting. He had come from Purdue University, and Miami was rolling, and they were really doing well. Uh, but Greasy was tackled, and when he was tackled, his leg was broken and his ankle was dislocated. Game five. Off on the sideline was a guy who was 38 years old. His name was Earl Morrill. And Earl came jogging onto the field, and underneath his uh, helmeted head was the crew cut, already probably 10 or 12 years out of date even then. And he puts on his helmet, and he goes in, and he leads the Dolphins to a victory over the San Diego Chargers. Not only did they win that game, but they went on to win all 14 of the regular season games. Then they won two of their playoff games, including the Super Bowl, finishing 17-0. and with a backup quarterback in place. This morning, as we open our Bibles to Joshua chapter 1, we find out that Moses is dead and his backup is coming in, Joshua. Uh, Right quickly, right almost immediately, God says, Moses is gone, here's Joshua. He is the guy. Your aide is how he is referred to. He was the aide of Moses. He's now in charge. And so Moses is gone, and Joshua has been thrust into this position of leadership. Uh, The book of Genesis told us about the beginnings of God. The book of Exodus tells us about the redemption of God. The book of Leviticus talks about the holiness of God. The book of Numbers talks about the trials and tribulations that we experience when we follow God. Deuteronomy is all about the law of God. And then in Joshua chapter 1 and following, we find out about how to seize the inheritance that God has given to us. And so when we talk about how big is your God and we talk about seizing the opportunities and taking what is there, Joshua has his moment right now. He is stepping into a position of leadership. He is stepping into a position of prominence. Moses is dead. So this morning, what I would like for us to do is look at Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and see the dangers that are lurking for those that choose that position of leadership, that position of, okay, God, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to step into where you want me to be and what you want me to do. There are dangers that are lurking. There are four in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. The first danger is the danger of looking back. Look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to you, to you, the Israelites. Moses was a great legislator. He brought the law. Uh, Moses was a great liberator. He had freed them, taken them out of... Uh, the bondage that was Egypt. He was the great leader who took them through the wilderness right up to the place of promised land. And when we get to Joshua, Joshua has to be careful to not fall into the trap of looking back, of the danger of looking back. Joshua, don't always look back. You see, Moses was not going into the promised land anyway. Even if he hadn't died, he wasn't getting in. You remember that Moses was the one that God said, speak to the rock, 
And Moses got angry, and he took out his staff, and he hit the rock. And God said, you know, because of your unbelief, you're not getting into the promised land. And Moses begged God. He prayed over and over. He prayed so much that God finally said, listen, we're not, do- we're not talking about this anymore. And, and God literally says to Moses, stop asking me. You don't get in. So Moses wasn't going into the promised land anyway. But God in his grace, you know, later on, just as an aside, later on Moses did get into the promised land. Remember the tra- transfiguration? Moses and Elijah, they were there in the promised land. So he did make it eventually. But he wasn't getting in anyway. And now he's really not getting in because he's dead. Moses is not getting in, and Joshua must go forward. Now Moses being dead, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> because now he doesn't have to deal with the whiny Israelites, right? Not only that, but you know he's 120 years old, so he probably isn't dealing with any aches and pains anymore. Plus he's with God in his presence face to face. So for Moses, it's a great deal, really, if you think about it. But for Joshua, he must move forward, and he must move forward with a group of people that are constantly looking back. And whenever there's an obstacle, what did the children of Israel do? Why did you take us out of Egypt? <laughs> we had flesh pots, leeks, and onions. Now we have nothing. Always looking back. Uh, it became kind of their, their signature. Even later on, when they come back from bondage and all of the problems that they have in the book of Ezra, they are rebuilding the temple. And these young guys get together and they rebuild the temple and they're putting it together and they're, they begin rejoicing and they invite the old guys to come and look at it and the old guys look at it and begin to cry. And they say, oh, it's not as nice as what we used to have. People looking back, that's a danger. When you decide that you are going to step up, when you're going to serve God, when you're going to be the person that God is going to use, you can't constantly look back. Now, I I teach history, so obviously I I don't want you to ignore the past, but you don't embalm it either, right? Embalm it and make it so precious. And make it something that you really have forgotten what it was like. You know, the Egyptians... They weren't serving the people of Israel the food. Instead, they had enslaved them. They were in bondage. But the Israelites, they forgot about that. They just loved to look back, to to constantly talk about what is in the past. You see, the danger of looking back is, is you forget that there is something in front of you. You forget there is something that God wants to do even if it's a stain in your past. You you see, there are those of you that are sitting here, and you have had something that is very tragic in your past. And and you're not able to let it go because it becomes something you admire, something you bring up. Instead of admiring and bringing up the reality that Christ has redeemed you, has set you free from that, he has chosen you to move forward, uh, I, I have a, a, a history in my family uh, of abusiveness. Do I look back on that and say, oh, poor me? Or do I look back on this and say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that. God, help me to move on. Don't hold on to the past. You see, the, the danger of looking back is real. And God says to Joshua, Moses is dead. Let's move forward. The second danger is not only the danger of looking back, but the danger of standing still. Notice what happens in verse 3. In verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. Uh, The second danger that you face 
is the danger of standing still. Do you see what God promises Joshua? He says, everywhere you set your foot. Now, do you understand what it means to set your foot? That's this, right? So what, what's, what, was, what, what must Joshua do? He must set his foot. He must move forward. He can't stand still. He can't stand still and think, you know what? This isn't so bad. <laughs> this is kind of a beautiful spot. Uh, when we stay here, we don't have to fight. We've got what we need. But God says that's not the way that it works. There is a danger sometimes that we're going to stand still. You say, well, oh, well I'm, I'm not really standing still. I'm just taking the words of the psalmist who said, be still and know that I'm God. Oh, the words of Isaiah who, uh, Isaiah, who said, they that wait upon the Lord. That's what I'm doing. I'm being still and I'm waiting on the Lord. So it's really not that I'm not moving. It's just that I'm, I'm waiting for the Lord. Well, you understand what those verses are talking about, right? When, when it says, be still, that means stop fighting God and do what he says. Be still. You know, stop struggling. Stop fighting. Move. That's what he's talking about. And when it's talking about waiting on the Lord, don't be confused. He's not talking about waiting in a waiting room. He's talking about engaging God. And as a result of engaging God, you're going to move forward uh, as, as, as this, this eagle with marvelous wings. And you won't be weary. You'll be strong. So don't uh, excuse what's happening in your life, the stillness of doing nothing. Don't, don't excuse that for, for waiting and being still before God. I mean, I, I get that there's that need. I'm a missionary friend, and he was a missionary in the Philippines. And uh, they were going on a long march through this kind of jungle bush area. And it was exhausting. They just kept pushing and pushing. And finally, the Filipinos just sat down. And they just stopped. And they, they were nowhere. They're just in the middle of the jungle. And this missionary walks up to the leader and he says, what are you doing? And he says, well, he says, we're stopping so that our soul can catch up with our body. <laughs> and I get that. Sometimes we get so busy in life that we need to stop and let our souls catch up. But too many times what we're doing is we're just making excuses and saying, you know what? I still need, I still need that, that, that sign, that, that whatever. And God's saying, listen, Joshua, everything that you want, everything that's yours is going to come as a result of you taking steps, of you moving forward. You say, you know what, I, I really like my life. I love the way it's going right now. Everything's so smooth and so calm. There's no friction. Well, the reason there isn't is because you're not going anywhere or doing anything. You're not moving. Moses moved. Joshua is now told that if you move, you're going to experience the good things that I have for you. All the promised land is yours. I love Thanksgiving. It's a great time of year. I have a lot to be thankful for. Uh, on my house on Thursday, I had 31 people show up. And we've had a little bit of a baby boom in my side of the family. We've had five babies born in the last 18 months. And so you know how it was, right? The babies walk in and what, what are people saying? Oh, look how they've grown. Oh, she's walking. Oh, she's talking. How great is this? How, we, we see the development. Wow. They're reading already and they're only three months? Wow, what a family. Right? I mean, that's what happens when you see the babies that you see and you talk about the progress. And we expect that. We expect that development, that movement, that change. If they brought the child in and you say, they don't look any different. The mother's offended, Right? But what about our spiritual life? In our spiritual life, are we moving? Are we growing? Or are we happy where we are? Are we happy to be just where we were 30 years ago? Are we happy? Or are we 
living the reality that we walk with God, we talk with God, we feed on his word, and we grow and we move and we go forward. The danger of standing still. Notice in verse 5, there's another danger that's lurking out there, and it's the danger of giving up. The danger of giving up. Look at verse 5. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The danger of giving up. Remember, it was Joshua and Caleb that stood up with the other ten to go and scope out the land. And so Joshua and Caleb, when they came back, the ten spoke first and said, there are giants out there, the land is great, but they're giants, we can't compete with them. But it was Joshua and Caleb that said, you know what, we can compete. God is with us, let's go. God is there for us, let's go, let's move. You see, Joshua is now in a position where he has to to do it. And no more just talking about it. He's the guy in charge. So he's now the guy that has to take them forward. He can't give up. He can't quit. He can't say, you know what, you're right. They're just too big. They're just too strong. I can't face this. I can't handle this. Instead, what he does is he says, you know what? God's with me. He promised me in verse 5. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He has to be with God. He has to understand the presence of God in his life so that he doesn't give up, so he doesn't quit. What you want is someone in your life who spends time with God. Spends time with an understanding that he is in the presence of God. And that's what Joshua has the promise, and that's what he must do moving forward. He can't give up. He can't quit. God is with him. The promise of God is, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. You see, God is free from all limitations. Uh, God is not hooked in by any kind of time and space. None at all. But what happens is we, we begin to think about the presence of God and we say, well, I don't see him. I don't see him. Because we think in terms of body. Well, he's big. He's omnipresent. He's big then, right? Well, it's more than that. Instead of thinking it as extensive, as in extending myself across the stage, think, it of, think of it as intensive, the intensity of the presence of God. It's something you should feel as a result of understanding that God is omnipotent, God is omniscient, God is omnipresent, all of these things that God is. He is infinite. I'm finite. So uh, in, in terms of the presence of God, it's, it's not him just showing up. It's him there. Okay, he's already here. Like, for example, you know, when you when you came in this morning, uh, you had to sense whether or not Jeff was here. Right. You're, you're kind of like, well, you know, I, I don't there wasn't that same kind of sense of Jeff being here. And then you pick up your 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 bulletin and you look at it and you go, oh, <laughs> oh, isn't that the old gray haired guy that teaches school? <laughs> Yeah. And, 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 right? And all of a sudden, there's this sense, he's not here. He's, 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 he's not available to me. There's no Jeff. And, and there, there's a sense that he's just not here. But when he is here, you may not see him, but there's a presence, there's a, a sense of him. There's an intensity. And that's what we're all about when it comes to the presence of God. We aren't looking for anything. Instead, we are affirming the reality that he is here. He is with us. He is here. We, we, we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to do anything except acknowledge it and understand it and affirm it. He's here. And so when we start to think, well, you know, I'm going to give up because I'm all alone in this. No, I'm not. God's with me. God's here. 
God is available to me. You see, we want to have leaders that understand the presence of God in their life. And they don't give up because of it. Uh, now, we think of our founding fathers, you know, we, we love our founding fathers for what they did in establishing uh, our country and things like that. But you know a lot of them were deists? You know what a deist is? A deist is someone that believes that God created the world and kind of set it in its place, and he's kind of now aloof from it. We are not deists. We are those that believe in the uh, eminence of God. He is emanating all around us. He is here. He is in and all things. One of the worst things about this past election, and there were a lot of them. I teach, I teach uh, AP government in high school, and plus every four years I teach an elective class called Elections and Campaigns. So I've, I've been immersed in this election, as you can well imagine. But one of the things that were most troubling to me personally was the sense of, oh, you know, whether it's Mrs. Clinton or Mr. Trump, the world comes to an end. Where's God? He's forgotten us. Look at what we've been left with, these candidates. <laughs> oh, God, what, what, what? He's still here. <laughs> He's not missing anything. He's still with us. We don't give up. We don't quit because of a circumstance that we see in our life. Instead, we affirm the reality that he is here with us, the danger of giving up. You see, what happens is when you assume this position where you say, you know what, God, I want to do what you want me to do. I know how big you are and how great you are, and you can use me. You find out that not only do you not give up, but notice, too, in verse 6 of Joshua chapter 1, it says, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Do you notice what this leadership position is all about? It's all about somebody else. It's not about Joshua. It's all about someone else. It's about him leading the children of Israel. Uh, Joshua, now you're in charge of these people that have been whining and complaining and you've observed. (laughs) You're in charge of them. It's no longer about you, Joshua. It's about someone else. And you see, that's one of the things oftentimes that, that leads us to want to give up. God, look what you've entrusted me with. This group, I can't go forward. But instead of giving up, God reminds him, you know what? I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to be the one that helps you get to the place where you need to get what you need to get. Now, Joshua can look back. And this is a good thing. He looks back and he remembers that when he and Joshua, and he, when he and Caleb stood up and said, you know what? We can do this. We can move forward. We can go into the promised land. Do you remember what the people wanted to do to him and Aaron and Moses? Wanted to stone them. And what happens? God stepped in. And God protected them, and God kept them. And Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb were saved. And those that were most upset, the ten, they died of a plague. (laughs) So as Joshua thinks about giving up, or Joshua thinks about these people, he can say, you know what, God, you were with me then. You'll You'll be with me now. I can do this. Let's go. Let's move forward. Let's accomplish what you want us to accomplish. You see, too many times, and I, and I think that this is something that I fail at, is we want explanations instead of promises. And God gives us promises, but not explanations. He, he says to Joshua, I will be with you. I will be with you. And then he says in verse 6, he says, you will lead these people to inherit. What's he saying? It's going to work, Joshua. It's going to work. This is going to be done. I promise this to you. Uh, Wait a minute, God. I need a a detailed architectural design of everything that it is that's going to happen between now and the time we claim the promised land. No. 
No, you need me. And I'm here. And I'll always be here. Oh, I promise. You will inherit. And the people will inherit the land that I've given to them. Don't give up. Stay with me. Don't give up. There is a danger of giving up. Uh, but Joshua is told, don't give up. Uh, the fourth danger is found in verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 and 9, it says this. It says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Uh, the fourth danger is the danger of taking over. The danger of taking over. Now, I, I've, I've been in education for 21 years, I think it is. And I cannot believe, and, and you know this as well, I cannot believe the difference between the first day and today in education. The change that's come. It's just amazing. And one of those changes is technology, right? I mean, I, I, I can remember when I first started, you know, PowerPoint was big. And so I had PowerPoint, and, and I had the points, and I would hit the button, and I would point. And I would have a 48-minute class period, and I would lecture for probably 40 out of those 48 minutes. And I would do that every day for four bells or five bells or six bells. And I would do lecture, lecture, lecture. Today, if I lecture for more than 20 minutes in the class bell, the kids are catatonic, right? I mean, they're passed out. And if I were to put up a PowerPoint that says, you know, Roman numeral one, the Byzantine Empire, A, Constantine, A1, they would be like, what? What? You know, now you insert all different kinds of things to captivate them, to capture them. And the technology is amazing, right? And, and, and you can talk to the students in my class. I, I tell them, if you have your phone, as long as it doesn't interrupt what we're trying to accomplish, you can keep it. I just don't like it when they put it between their legs and they're down there like this. I don't like that. I keep it on your desk. I'm okay with that. You know, what happens after 15 minutes to students if they don't look at their phone? Is they begin to panic. You know, they're, 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 uh, and I'm gonna get this wrong because I always do. Their, their Snapchat timeline is going to expire or something like that. Right? And they're like panicked in that moment. So I embrace technology in the classroom. I think it's a great thing. But this is what I've noticed for me personally is all of a sudden I begin looking for an app for that. Right? Is there an app to fix that? Is there a way to fix this technologically? And so as a result, what happens? I begin to depend on myself, and I can figure this out. You know, surely somewhere on my phone. I just haven't found it yet. There's a way that I can solve this problem. Technology is great, and I'm not a Luddite, so you know, don't, don't, don't get that image. But sometimes what happens is, because of the technology that we experience today, we are so in awe of technology that we are not in awe of God. And so we've become dependent upon ourselves. And that's the danger here, the danger of taking over. Uh, God says to Joshua, he says, this book of the law, this book, be strong, be courageous, but don't forget the book. Meditate in it, read it. This book, keep this book, always on your lips, always in your heart. Oh, well, I don't know if the book of Psalms is good enough to encourage me. Maybe there's an app that I can find that can encourage me. No, there is nothing more powerful and more marvelous than the Word of God. 
And that's what Joshua is being told. Don't take it yourself. Instead, always be supported by the reality that God is there and his word is sufficient. God is there and his word is sufficient. That's the reminder here. You see, Joshua forgot it. He took over two times. The first time he took over for himself was going to Ai. Instead of having a prayer meeting and praying, okay, let's go and defeat Ai, he had a statistical analysis. And he sent the guys to Ai, and what did they do? They are so small and so inept, we don't even have to send our full army. And Joshua goes, okay, fine. So what happens? They go, they send the partial army, and it gets destroyed. And they get embarrassed. And then Joshua finds out, you know, there's a lot more to this than just statistical analysis. There's dealing with sin in the camp. There's dealing with problems of the hearts. And the Word of God does that, and I forgot. The second time that he did it was when the Gibeonites came. You remember the Gibeonites? The Gibeonites were so afraid of what Joshua and his group of soldiers were going to do that they they got old bread, they got old clothes, they ripped their clothes, they wore their shoes down and said, you know what, let's lie to these guys and tell them we're from a far country and we're going to be their buddies. And Joshua took it and said, okay. Instead of stopping and saying, God, what do you want? What do you have? He examined the external, their shoes, their clothes, their bread. Instead of examining his own heart and his own relationship before God, God, what do you want me to do? And how do you want me to handle this? The danger of taking over. The danger of taking over. If you have your Bibles, turn to Joshua chapter 5 as well. In Joshua chapter 5, beginning at verse 13, it says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Remember Jericho, that's the next big obstacle. After they settled things in Ai, they had to go to Jericho and bring down the walls and get in somehow. And what happens is, uh, this meeting in verse 13 of Joshua chapter 5, it says, Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? So imagine the image here. It's a man standing there with a sword that's drawn. Now, uh, it doesn't take a, a biblical scholar to understand that when a sword is drawn, it's ready to be used, Right? And so no wonder Joshua said, are you for us or are you with our enemies? And I love the answer that the uh, response is, neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. No, I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Now, this is what they call an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. And uh, there he is. And, and then notice what happens with Joshua. It says, then Joshua fell down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? What a marvelous response. He, he falls down his face and he says, tell me something. Talk to me. Give me your words. You see, in the Old Testament, Joshua probably had the first five books and maybe the book of Job. That's all he had. And so now he's asking, can I have more? Can I have more words from God? We have 66 books. We need to ask more of what God has to say and find it here in his word. Notice what happens. It says, the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And Joshua did so. You see, the danger of taking over is you forget where you fit. And so here is God coming along with, with this example and saying, you know what, Joshua, you're second in command. And as second in command, you're not alone. I'm here. 
I'm the commander of the Lord's army. I'm with you. I'm here. Uh, So that's a great reminder. Don't take over yourself, but remember, God is with you. The second thing, uh, holy ground. Wherever God puts us is holy ground. It's sanctified, set apart. It's for service. So wherever you are, that's what God has for you. That's the place where he wants you. And notice the third thing that he says. Uh, he says, the, the battle's yours. You're going to win. You're going to win. You see, it's a marvelous thing to be challenged, isn't it? We love being challenged. Let's step up and serve God. He's big. How big can you make what it is that he wants you to do because he's so big? You step up. But please remember that when you step up, there is this danger of taking over that lurks in our hearts. And, and what Joshua is reminded of, he, he's being reminded that you need to fall down on your face before God in private. Or you're going to fall down on your face before men in public. In order to have the victory at Jericho, you better get down on your hands and your knees and bury your face. Dangers this morning. Dangers that are real, but dangers that can be completely overcome by understanding the presence of God and the power of his word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the Old Testament. Uh, You reminded us in the New Testament that you wrote the things in the Old Testament as our example. And what a great example Joshua is. Father, don't let us fall prey to the dangers that are there, but instead allow us to learn and move forward and do what it is that you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we have a great opportunity to to be a part of understanding not only what it is that God has done in the past, but what God has done in the past affects our present. And as we move from uh, talking about Joshua to talking about the elements of the Lord's table, we can't help but be excited about the redemption about the salvation that comes as a result of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And what we have now is an opportunity to tangibly observe those things and to hold them in our hands and to be reminded of the great gift of salvation that God has given to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul wrote this, beginning at verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said... This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All we ask is that before you proceed to uh, take of these uh, bread and cup, is just look at your heart and understand the relationship that you have with God right now. And if you are His as a result of faith and believing in Him, please enjoy this memorial service. I'm going to pray, and when I finish, just make your way to the stations and get your bread and cup, and Jen will sing and allow you to have a moment of thanksgiving for what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Father, there are not a lot of things for us uh, that are so tangible and so real as reminders of what you've done for us as this bread and cup. You went to the cross, your body was broken, blood was shed so that we could have the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for that, Lord. Allow us to focus on that and to remember that as we partake of these elements. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word and to be here with those who are of like faith and even those that are searching, Lord. We're glad that they're here as well. Please allow their hearts, all of our hearts, to be challenged by your word and by the symbols of this communion. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful week.